Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Love Crimepedia and want to help support the show? You can do so by buying us a coffee through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Crimepedia Podcast. My name's Cherry and I am your host this week. And with me, as always, is my true crime best buddy. It is the lovely Morgan. Oh, hello, hello, hello. How are you, Cherry? I am great. Thank you very much. Excellent. It's been a very busy week this week for me. I've been doing loads of different stuff and loads of different um, research and all sorts of different things. It's been a really, really researchful week this week. Yeah. It's been one of those one of those crazy weeks this week, so it's been very busy. So tomorrow is we record on a Sunday, so tomorrow is bank holiday Monday in England. So no work in tomorrow, which is really nice. So we've got the day off, which is lovely. So no having to get up at stupid o'clock. No doing anything <laughs> anything worthwhile. Gonna have a nice lazy day tomorrow. Uh, yeah, it's um back to school time here in the States. Oh, is it? Not my favorite because that means I have to start working up early to get yeah. The little one ready for school and on the bus, so boo to that. <laughs> I don't think our kids don't go back until first week of September, so they've still got another couple mm-hmm. of weeks off yet. But you guys, your your kids were off really early, weren't they? They finished really yep. early. So ours finished yep. like end of July and then back first week of September. Yeah, they've been, summer break is, it's like towards the end of May. So from really the end of May until the end of August, they've been Wow. Three like three months. Yep. Yeah. Wowzers. Parents must be like pulling their hair out by the time the end of the summer comes. That's why Americans <laughs> have summer camp because they can get rid of the kids. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's why. Because most parents here at the minute are absolutely pulling their hair out and can't wait for the kids to get back to school. <laughs> so if yeah. it's three months worth, that's crazy. That it's, is crazy. I mean, it's super difficult, especially if you have two working parents. Yeah. And- or working in an office, you know, in a yeah. office environment or whatever, then yeah, it's, oh, it's so tough. It is tough. That's yeah. why, yeah, we should have summer camps here for the kids. 
Hi, kids. Bye, kids. Bye, kids. <laughs> see you in see you in three months. Yeah, that's right. Then back to school. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so that's what's going on in England at the moment. Nothing too exciting. Everyone's preparing for the back to school again. Um, this week we had the GCSE results and the A-level results had all come out. And so everyone was celebrating or commiserating. So well done to everyone who passed their exams. Um, we'll have, what have we got that's exciting to tell you? Nothing too much. We had our 100th episode last week. We also had mm-hmm. our two two-year podcasting anniversary so we are now well away into another year of um of episodes for you and we've got some really good ones coming up so make sure that you um stay subscribed and hopefully we'll bring you another year's worth of material to listen to yep and we did get a nice little um message from one of our podcast friends and um what do you say we we play that for everyone yeah i like it let's do it hey this is brandon from music city 911 me and the two of you, Cherry and Morgan, we haven't known each other that long, but it doesn't take long for me to figure out that both of you are great people. Oh. I thoroughly enjoyed hanging out with both of you, eating hot chicken and talking podcasts there in Vegas. <laughs> in regards to Cherry, I just would like to know why someone from England would come to America, go to an American-style diner for breakfast, and with the thousands of grand and greasy items that are on the menu, you would order a plain English muffin. It's absolutely <laughs> mind-boggling. But just wanted to drop in and say hi, and obviously, congratulations on the 100 episodes. Don't stop what you're doing there. You definitely have something good going. Again, this is Brandon from Music City 911, wishing you both the best. I absolutely Aww. love Brandon. He is one of my very, very good friends. I absolutely love him. What a character. And he had to mention the muffin, didn't he? He did. He did. Oh, it's a long story. I'll have to catch you up on that one again. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as bad as it sounds, though. Let me just say that. It's not as bad as it sounds. So thank it's you also. Bad. We. <laughs> It's pretty bad. It makes you sound like a complete dumbass. Um, so thank you very much also to all of you for um, your reviews that you've been putting online for us. That really helps us with um, climbing up the podcast in charts. So thank you so much for those. You don't have to write a review. But if you want to, we will love that. Um, so thank you. Um, five stars is always very much appreciated. We do like a five-star review. So yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> so this week's case is my case. And if you don't listen all the time, um, we take it in turns each week to do a case for you. And mine tend to be slightly older cases. Um, and this week is another very, very old case for you. But there's a reason behind this. So we did do a case um, back in, I think it was October, November last year. Um, we did the case of a young girl called Christine Butcher who was killed in mm. Windsor. And this is yep. a case that I've um, sort of taken to heart really. And it's one that I look up quite a lot. I um, I still research this case and have still been researching this case from last year amongst others that we've done. Um, and when I was researching this case, I came across the case that I'm going to give to you today. It's one of the longest ever cold cases in British history. Um, But I found it really interesting purely from a forensic point of view. And when we get into it, you'll understand why. So this case this week is the um, murder of Bella Wright. Twenty-one-year-old Bella Wright lived in a village called Little Stretton, just outside of Leicester. 
Little Stretton is an area of natural beauty with gorgeous countryside views, lovely walks in back lanes and is a typically quaint English village. She was described as a very pretty girl who was well liked in the area. She worked as a domestic servant and everybody seemed to be pretty happy to be in her company. On the 5th of July 1919, Bella's body would be found on a country lane covered in blood. Her death would become one of the oldest cold cases in British history. This is Crimepedia, and this is the murder of Bella Wright. So Bella was born Annie Bella Wright on the 14th of July 1897 in Summerby in Leicestershire. Now, she was the eldest of seven children born to an agricultural labourer and his wife. Now, from around 1895, records show that they lived in a thatched cottage in the village of Stoughton in Leicestershire, which is about four miles out of Leicester. Now, Bella was engaged to be married to a Royal Navy stoker who was called Archie Ward, and he served on HMS Diadem, which is a training ship in Portsmouth. But she's also known to have had at least one other love interest. Now, she told her mum of this officer that had fallen in love with her. Although, looking through everything, there's no name given to this officer. Now, on the 5th of July, 1919, Bella had decided to visit her uncle George, who lived a few miles away from her house. She set off on her bicycle and somewhere along the way, something happened with her bike wheel. It had come loose and she wasn't able to ride her bike anymore. And so she pushed it along as she was walking. Now, we know from reports that a man on a green bicycle with unusually shaped handlebars rode past Bella and offered to help her. This is around 6.45 in the evening. He wasn't able to fix the wheel at the side of the road either because they needed a wrench to tighten it up. So he offered Mm -hmm. to walk with her back to her uncle's house. Now, when they reached her uncle's house, they fixed Bella's wheel. And according to Bella's uncle, George, the man waited outside the cottage whilst Bella was fixing or whilst Bella's uncle was fixing the wheel of her bike. When George asked Bella who the guy was, um, she just replied to him that she didn't actually know him. She just said to him, like, oh, he's been riding alongside me now for a couple of miles. He's not really bothering me. He seems like a nice guy. Um, He's behaving like a total stranger. And then joked with him just before she left that she hoped that this guy didn't get too boring (laughs) on the way. (laughs) Now, Bella and this guy then continued off together. And they, they left the cottage, the uncle's cottage, at about half past eight. Which I thought was a bit strange because she had was going to see her uncle so whether she already had a problem with her bike and was going to see him to get it fixed because she didn't really stay it's not like she just went to visit him uh, for a for a particular reason okay so she went and got her bike fixed and yeah and then carried on her way way. yeah went on her way and the the stranger was stayed with her the whole time yeah so he stayed with her outside the cottage until she was fixed the bike fixed and then they carried off on together which is a bit strange yes it is bella's uncle described this guy as unnerving Said it was a bit weird, a bit unnerving. Now, approximately nine o'clock that evening, a farmer called Joseph Cowell discovered the body of Bella Wright on Gartree Road. Now, her body lay on the ground beside her bike. Her face was covered in blood and she had some deep gouge marks to her cheek and her jaw. Now, straight away, Joseph thought that maybe Bella had fallen off her bike as a car had passed. Now, we're talking 1919, so there wasn't that many cars around at the time. And if they were, there were people that were a bit more, you know, a bit more... Well-to-do. So, yeah, a bit more affluent. He thought that maybe she'd fallen off her bike, hit her head, and then, you know, suffered and suffered and died because of the um, because of the injuries to her head. So he then ran to the next village... 
which was a village called Great Glen. And he ran to alert the local policeman. I think this is brilliant because obviously mm-hmm. there's no phones or anything at this time. He's not got a mobile phone. He's not got a phone box out you know, on the road. So he runs to the, the next village, gets this local policeman, a guy called Constable Alfred Hall. And he says to him, look, I found this girl. She's dead. She's covered in blood. So Constable Hall then phoned the local doctor. And it's really interesting to to read through how things are very different back then to how they are now. Obviously, we're in an age now where everything is instant is you know technology is there in your hand phone numbers are there in your hand you you're constantly connected to some network of some kind now with this you've got this young girl who's dead on a country road um you know the area that she lives in is a beautiful um quaint english village she's in the back in the back lanes of this of this little village and she's you know she's dead on the floor chances of other people finding her are probably very slim at this point i mean this guy's a farmer hence why he's out and about in the fields so constable for hall phoned the local doctor a guy called dr williams dr williams then made his way to constable hall's house and then all three of them went back to where bella's body lay obviously joseph leading them both to show them where she was now Uh, real quick i just want to Make sure I have like time down. So this was nine after nine o'clock, right? Yeah, at night. Yeah, at night. And what time of year was it again? What this uh, is in? We are oh, July, so summertime. So okay, so it'd still be light out. Yeah, okay. yeah. So okay. obviously they go, they go. The light is fading. The, the light is fading because when they get there, Doctor Williams actually examined her by candlelight. Because again, they've not got torches yeah. and stuff like that. So he um, examines the body by candlelight and gives instructions for the body to be moved to a nearby empty house, which I thought was like okay, oh, okay, yeah. So it went to it. She went. The body was taken to a near, nearby empty house. At the scene, PC Hall found what he described as smears of blood on the top bar of a field gate. Now, also near that that gate was a dead crow. Now, he discovered no human footprints either side of the gate. So it's not as if somebody had come to the gate from the field and stopped. And there was no like footprints in the gate going towards the field either. Just this dead mm-hmm. crow and then these what appeared to be smears of blood on the top bar of the gate. Um, Dr. Williams, though, agreed straight away with Joseph's initial assumption and said that she had had this accident on her bike, fallen and died from a combination of blood loss and this head injury. Now, PC Hall was not convinced by this. He completely disagreed with both of them. He didn't like the look of the way things were laid out at this crime scene. Now, bearing in mind, they then had Bella's body removed from the crime scene and taken away. Her bike was also removed and taken away. Um, And PC Hall thought about this all night, overnight. He just couldn't get out of his head that there was something not quite right about that crime scene. So next morning at about 6 a.m., he went to the scene where the body was found and mm-hmm. he decided to go and search for himself to put his mind at rest to see if there was any foul play. As he was searching the scene, he found a .455 caliber bullet. Now, this was about 17 foot away, which is about five and up, just over five meters away from where Bella's body was. And it was slightly okay. embedded in the ground by the imprint of a horse's hoof. Okay. So he then went, this is this is crazy, right? He then went to the house where Bella's body was being kept, okay? This empty house. Washed her face 
washed all the congealed blood off of her face and found a single entry bullet wound beneath her left eye. Uh, what? Well, first of all, I was like, well, hang on a minute. He's gone and washed the corpse's face. So he's yeah, gone yeah, and yeah. all that evidence, you know, just washed it away. But he, but he finds this bullet wound underneath her eye. So straight away, he's now like, this is definitely not just she's been knocked off her bike and hit her head. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, how can they just say, okay, well, she fell off her bike and she, she <laughs> died where, where she where she landed. Yeah. When they're like, oh, oh, yeah, she did that. But also there's all this blood that's, you know, possibly smeared over here on this, mm. on this gate. Yeah. What? I know. How do you explain that? I know. It's crazy, isn't it? Well, Dr. Williams, when, when PC Hall then went to Dr. Williams and said, look, this is what I found. Dr. Williams and another doctor performed a full post-mortem on Bella's body. And then when okay. I read that, I was thinking, I wonder if they had if they had planned to do a post-mortem because it doesn't sound like they were very convinced that anything untoward had happened. So it could have been that they would have just left her and not realized that she'd actually been shot. Yeah, because it wasn't until they discovered what the the PC had been saying that they actually looked and found the fact that she had a hole in her face. That's crazy. So when they did the postmortem on Bella's body, they discovered that she had indeed been shot once beneath her left eye from a distance of what they recommended was six to seven feet away. They also said that the bullet had exited the rear of her skull. Hence why they thought that perhaps that bullet that they found in the floor could possibly have been the one that, that killed Bella. Yeah, okay. Bella was then identified by her relatives, unfortunately, as Bella Wright, and an inquest into her death returned a verdict of murder by persons unknown. Now, police obviously now have got a homicide on their, on their hands, and they obviously conducted the initial investigation, spoke to Bella's family. The uncle, I spoke to her uncle George because he was obviously the last member of the family to see her. And he reported this guy that was accompanying her. So police knew they were then looking for this man with a distinctive green bike as the last person to see Bella Wright alive. News yeah. obviously spread around town as it did back then and witnesses started to come forward with information. There were several witnesses that saw Bella with this guy and they described him as being 35 to 40 years of age. He had a broad full face. They said that he was between 5 foot 7 and 5 foot 9. So for you guys that do it in centimetres, about 170 to 175 centimetres. He was wearing a grey suit, a grey cap, a collar and tie and black boots. Now, seven months went by before there were any anything happening with Bella's case. There was no solid leads at all and nobody knew who this man was. So in the February 1920, there was a lead. A boat that was pulling coal up the river saw snagged its tow line on something under the water. And when I looked into this the boat was actually being pulled up the river by a horse. You know, like in the, obviously in the old days, that's how they would, they would get up and down the river. So this horse was pulling this boat um, with the coal on the back of the boat and the tow line got snagged on something under the water. When the guys on the mm -hmm. boat went down to pull it, these handlebars of a bike came up from under the water and they were very distinctive handlebars. So the rest of the bike was found nearby and a local labourer came forward to say that he'd seen a man throwing bike pieces into the river. So, of course, this then police were thinking, OK, this is very strange. We know what happened in the area. Could this possibly be the same bike? So when they went and had a look at the bike, it was indeed this green bicycle. However, 
the person who had thrown the bike in the river had tried to remove the serial numbers on the frame and the seat of the bike. But what they hadn't done is realise that there were also um, serial numbers on the like the spoke parts of the bike. Yeah. And they hadn't got rid of those. So the serial numbers for the original bike were still on the wheels of the bike. And wow. the police had then managed to trace this bike through businesses which bought or sold or repaired bikes or whatever they did and revealed that this cycle had actually been bought nine years previously. Okay. So they could trace back to where this bike was bought. And the man that bought the bike was a 34-year-old man called Ronald Light. So oh, wow. police then decided to continue dragging the river. So when they dragged the river, the other strange thing that they found was an army-issued gun holster and a gun with bullets that matched the bullet that had killed Bella. I mean, what are the chances? That's insane. And if wow. you're going to go okay. and get rid of, if you're going to go and get rid of evidence, you don't do it at the same time in the same place, surely? No. You know, no. you throw it in one, like the handlebars in one river, the rest of the bike in another part of the river and your bullet and mm -hmm. everything separately. You know, you get rid of them, don't you? You don't just chuck it all in one place. Yeah. Um, oh, it, you said it was army issued, right? Yeah. And I'm assuming that the army has ways to track who that went to. They do indeed. Ooh. So Ronald and? Light was arrested on the 4th of March, 1920, and he did yeah. match the description of the man who was seen with Bella on the evening that she died. So I'll tell you a bit uh -huh. about Ronald. He was born on the 19th of October, 1885. He was the son of a wealthy civil engineer, and he had a bit of a dodgy past, to be honest. He was okay. expelled from school at a young age for lifting girls' clothes above their heads. <laughs> that's actually so That's actually the quote. He was actually expelled from school for lifting girls' clothes above their heads. So at that time, he probably would have been considered cheeky. Yes. In his 30s, he attempted to seduce a 15-year-old. So that's obviously no. oh. not great. And then had admitted to engaging in improper conduct with an 8-year-old girl. No. So we're talking about a guy who's got a pretty dodgy past. Yes. So he was fired from a previous job for arson, for graffiti, and then there were more counts of arson in his sort of background. He joined the mm -hmm. army in 1916, and after three years of serving in the army, he reportedly suffered from shell shock and partial deafness. He had been sent home from the army to recover, and on the 21st of September, his father died in an accident. Now, that I say accident loosely because it's possibly thought that his father was very, very worried about his son and the effects that the, uh, being in the army and the war was having on him. And yeah. it's possible that his father actually committed suicide. There's not a lot of information mm. around how his father died. It's just sort mm. of labelled as an accident and possible suicide. So when Ronald was arrested, he was working in a school. And he initially said when he was arrested, he had never owned a green bike. And police told him that they had spoken to a witness who had identified him as being the man seen with Bella. Ronald Mother's maid had reported that he had not returned home that night until approximately 10 p.m., saying that his bike had broken and he had to push it home. <laughs> so Come he didn't on. really corroborate this story. He didn't think this through very well, no. dear old Ronald. Now, the police questioned Ronald, and he did then admit that, yes, he had met Bella on that country lane. He had helped her with her bike. He had gone to the uncle's cottage. But he says that when they left the uncle's cottage, he had continued on towards Leicester, and she had gone off as 
to go home and he believed that she had gone home and he insisted that when they parted she was very much alive and well and there's there was no problems so Ronald Light stood trial for Bella's murder um, at Leicester Castle on the 9th of July, 1920. And his defence was led by this guy called Sir Edward Marshall Hall, who was a very, very successful barrister. He was mm. a very scary looking man. <laughs> he kind of reminds me a little bit of Henry Cavill when he is in Sherlock in Enola Holmes. He's this very kind of, I wouldn't say severe, but very professional looking. He looks like a barrister. You know, he looks like somebody mm-hmm. who is very professional, like perhaps a doctor or, you know, I wouldn't have said he even looked like a policeman. He he looks like somebody who's like very high up. And I would imagine him to have spoken with a very, very posh English accent. Oh, yeah. Like very posh. Yeah. He looks like a like the sort of guy that you wouldn't want to mess with. And he had a reputation as just that. Now... Mm. <laughs> he managed to show the jury that there were serious doubts that Ronald was the man that killed Bella. And when I saw okay. this, I was thinking, really? Like, I'd like to see what this guy is going to come up with to say that, like, because he's the last guy to see her. He admits yes. that he was with her. Yes. You know, he, he was in the army. She was killed by an yeah. army issued gun. Um, yes. You know, there were bullets there that were from the same gun that was found in the water. He was on a green bike, which was also found in the water with very distinct handlebars. Mm -hmm. And although Ronald admitted that this bike gun and bullets were his, he still denied killing Bella. Wait. So the gun that they're like, yeah, this is the gun that was used to shoot her. Yeah. I didn't do it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So straight away, if I was a jury member, I would be saying, guilty it's your gun it's your bike you've thrown your bike Mm -hmm. in the river we've got a witness to say that you've thrown your bike in the river you know the the bullet that's used to kill her is from the gun that you owned and was also found in the river with the bike that you now say you owned and you've admitted that you Mm -hmm. owned you were the last person to see her alive you were the last person seen with her so he the um so the defense told the jury that um, although these bike, this gun, the bullets were indeed Ronald's, yes. the bullet that killed Bella could have been shot from some distance away. And although the, the, with the postmortem, they're saying it's like seven feet away, he's saying there's no certainty that it was that close. He argued that a shot from a close range would have caused much more damage to Bella's face. Well, who cares how far it was it was away? Mm. If he shot the gun, he shot the gun. Okay, so I'm thinking the same thing. You know, okay, so it wasn't it wasn't as close range as what they're thinking, but it's his gun, and it's, could he have been down the lane a little bit more? That's right. Who else is going to have his gun? So he then told the jury that no one had actually witnessed seeing Ronald anywhere near Bella or where Bella was found because there aren't any witnesses that sh- that actually placed them in that in that sort of um farm gate okay but we know that he but he admitted that he had been with her oh yeah yeah he admitted he had been with her but not in that specific location where she was found with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay. So there's no one to place him at that specific scene. Okay. What? And the, ah! the jury okay. were that impressed with Sir Marshall Hall's defense that they acquitted Ronald of all charges. What defense? <laughs> That's the defense. <laughs> the what? defense is that the, he was oh, not seen no in there. that gate. No one saw him there. And the fact okay. that if he had shot her at, at the close range, like they said, there would be much more damage to her face. So he can't obviously have shot her because okay. it was must have been shot from a long way away. So you can't specifically say that it was him. Also, he says that it must have been somebody that had shoot him from far away because the crow was found dead. And so they believe he believed that maybe someone was trying to shoot the crow and had accidentally shot Bella. With Ronald's gun. With Ronald's gun. <laughs> okay. So okay, let me okay, let me get this straight. Here's the trial, right? So this is the trial. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna be I'm gonna play both parts. I'm okay. I am the prosecutors. Yeah. Okay. Ronald, you said that you're with her before she was found dead. Yes. yes. Um we found this bike, and this bike was purchased by you nine years prior. Yes. We also found this gun holster in this in this gun with ammo in it, which was army issued and yes. issued to you. Yes. And that's your gun. Yes. Okay, but you didn't shoot her. No. Okay. Because there's no okay. one to now, say he was there. Now on the prosecution. Okay. Talking to the jury. All right, jury, close your eyes. Do you see Ronald now? No. <laughs> How do you know he was there? <laughs> yeah. If you can't see Ronald, you got to quit. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Right? That's it. It is kind of like that, yeah. It is. A, it, I think it is a little bit farcical, to be honest. I think it's, you know, okay, so you can't, there's no one to put him there at the scene, at that particular scene. But he was the last person to be found with her. She was shot with bullet a bullet from a gun that was traced to him. It's his issue if, gun, okay. you know? If, if, if trials, if juries had to determine if a person was with them at a murder scene, mm-hmm. and the only way that they can determine that they were with them is if someone actually saw them. You know how many murders yeah. Yeah. would go, that, yeah. would be, murder to go and quitted? Of course. I mean, the the prosecution's case was that basically for unknown reasons, he had upset her or panicked her. She had run away. She had gone down a road that she wasn't you wasn't familiar with. He had then sort of cut her off at another you know, at this other road and lay yeah. in wait for her. And he then lay in wait to ambush her and then shot her in the gate before running away. Now, they said that eyewitnesses were then sort of introduced to testify, having seen him with her. So they they basically put people saying, yes, we saw them together. He owns the bike. He tried to remove the serial numbers from his um, bicycle. He disposed of this this holster. He survived, like re- got rid of all of these bullets that were the same same as the bullet that killed her he's trying to conceal physical evidence you know he's got home really late that night everything mm-hmm. points to the fact that he did this well, now he did do it well exactly um and the problem 
the problem with this is that nobody actually saw him there. And that's the defense's case, is that because you didn't see him there, he can't have done it. That's bullshit. Well, they had they actually had some some girls, some young girls, age twelve and fourteen. A girl called Valeria Cavern and a guy, a girl called Muriel Nunny. They testified yeah. for the prosecution that about three hours before he had seen um, Bella, he had pestered them as they rode their bikes close to where her body was found. Yeah. So you've got these other young girls. We know that he's got a bit of a past, you know, with doing dodgy things and being strange around young women um and you know you've got these now two girls that are saying yeah he was there where she was killed and he was acting really strange and he was being really weird with us yeah so he this is what i I think he i think now if we would have looked and she would have been properly examined i bet you there's at least okay there was at least a, a attempted sexual assault that had occurred I wonder if that was the case. Yeah. By Ronald Light. She takes Possibly. off. Possibly. Yeah. Then he, because that's the only, then he's like, okay, I can't let her go because yeah, she, she can, can identify, identify me. me. Yeah. That's the only reason that he would shoot her, right? Well, exactly. I, would think. I would think. I mean, that's the thing. Now, on cross-examination, he admits that, obviously, the gun holster, the bullets, the bike that recovered from this canal river were, were actually his. He says that he disposed of them in a panic. Because he said that he had read press coverage surrounding her death and other people had seen him riding alongside her and this guy on a green bicycle, you know, had had been seen with her and he didn't want to be, you know, falsely accused of hurting her. Okay, so wait, wait, so so he happened to know. Okay, I gotta get rid of this stuff. I don't want to be accused. I don't. Yeah. Want, but I, I'm gonna get rid of my gun too because I don't want them to happen to figure out that this was the gun that was used to shoot her. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. There and is I don't want to be there. like, because why would you get rid of a gun if you had nothing to do with it mm. or the bike? Yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, it's not exactly the actions of a of an innocent man is it when when you're looking at it like that no i mean he says that he wasn't he saw her and they went separately and he didn't hurt her and she was absolutely fine Uh and Uh that everything was okay yeah but she happened to get shot with my gun unfortunately yeah (laughs) so that's you know that's that's how it went but i mean the the jury agreed and the jury actually did acquit him of all charges. Oh, my God. Well, records show that following the trial, um, Ronald moved away. He changed his name and he got remarried or got married and he lived a long and happy life and died aged 89 in 1975 and nothing was ever brought up about this. But I'd be very interested to know what his new name was because I couldn't find what his new name was. So I'd be very interested to see if there were any other... Yeah, I know he lived in Kent, but it'd be very interesting to see if there were any other like signs of young girls or young women being followed or any other things strange uh, surrounding where he lived. It'd be interesting to know if that was the case. Um, now, when when investigators were looking through the case file and subsequently and after all of this had happened, it was found uh-huh. in the case file a mysterious note. Now, allegedly, this was written by a guy called Superintendent Levi Bowley, or Bowley, however you want to say it. And apparently this was written just after the trial. 
it said that he had established a good relationship with Ronald whilst he was on trial. So we're talking about a superintendent and a man who's standing trial for murder. Okay, so they've apparently made quite good friends and that Ronald had confided in him that he had killed Bella by accident. And he said that if he ever told anybody anything about this, he would just deny it and there would be no way that they would, you know, come forward because they wouldn't be able to. Okay, because he would just deny it. Now, this is, I'm going to read it to you and quote exactly what it says. So the note said, I did shoot the girl, but it was completely accidental. We were, you're going to laugh at this. We were riding quietly along and I had my revolver in my raincoat pocket. We dismounted so that she could look at it. I had no idea there was a cartridge in it. Her hand went, was out to take it and it went off. She fell over and never stirred. I was frightened and altogether unnerved, so I got on my bicycle and rode away. Apparently, this is the note that is in. Now, I find it a bit strange that a superintendent, one, would make friends with somebody on trial. Two, I yes. find it very, very strange that this confession wouldn't have come to light during the trial, because surely he would have been duty-bound to report something like that. You would think so, yeah. Yeah, so apparently this confession, this written confession, was in the case file following his acquittal. But it was just a note that was written by the superintendent, correct? Yeah, yeah. Like, this is what... Yeah, it's just, like, hidden in the case file. Which I thought was... Yeah. Most people... I mean, most people believe that the note is completely fake. And that, you know... I mean, to be fair, all most people in the village and the surrounding areas believe that Ronald was guilty. They don't believe for one minute that he was was innocent of these charges. And that he actually did kill her. But... Um, her family sort of following this kind of were like a bit like well now what was it murder was it an accident did was somebody out there trying to shoot this bird or was he trying to shoot a bird and accidentally shot her in which case why wouldn't he just say that right you know it's a bit so it's a bit odd now there's been two books written about this case the first one was by hr wakefield and this was published in 1930 and this book mm-hmm. claimed that ronald light was innocent now, the second book was written by Wendy East in 1993, and this book claimed that Ronald was guilty. So okay. there's like both yeah. sides of the story there that you can do it. Now, this is crazy. In 1987, the holster and the bullets that were found in the canal were auctioned off at Christie's Auction House in London for $6,000 to an anonymous buyer. Who would buy that? Why would you buy that? What? Don't you think that's, that's really weird? That is, re- that is really weird, yeah. I think that's really strange. And the bicycle that was, that was his bicycle, this green bicycle, was mounted on the wall of a local bike shop for years. But nobody knows what actually happened to that because it's since gone missing and nobody knows its whereabouts. I don't like this whole, like, the collection of... I don't like it either. Murder no. souvenirs. Murder... What do they call it? Murder... Like, uh, yeah, um, something like that. Murder, paranoia, yeah, something like that. I, d- I don't agree with that. I don't, I don't like it. I mean, like, people no. go in to see like ten bu- Ted Bundy's car, they have their photo taken with a murderer's car. I mean, he's a murderer, he did vile, horrible things. Why do you want pictures of yourself stood by his car? I don't get it. I know, I know. I understand for like historians, I get it when you're a criminal historian and you're you, you have things like in a collection for historical reasons 
but not as a collector's item as in you like to collect you know murderous yeah. stuff I, I find that really and no. it's the same with like the drawings from you know people that are in prison that are you know that, oh, like yeah, Jack yeah. the Ripper and oh, not Jack the Ripper you know the Yorkshire Ripper Peter Sutcliffe mm-hmm. people yeah. bought his drawings and people oh, I, I just I don't understand like that John Wayne Gacy yes <sighs> like I don't understand why why would you want something like that Mm-mm. surely that's not just me. like making him I don't know admirable maybe or like I, d- I don't understand it it's something i haven't ever been able to get my head around to be honest i find it really is... weird but then the, so so obviously to this day i mean we're over a hundred years later and this case is still unsolved and chances are now obviously most well, of the people involved that they are dead the chances are that then they're, they're not going to get the, to the bottom of this one but well still, they're not no be- because the person that did it got to walk free. <laughs> yeah. For me, if I was a member of that jury, everything that was put forward does not scream innocent man to me. No. And you know what? I think it was part of it had to do with, there was probably this aura around this. What was his name? Yeah. The defense uh, barrister. Sir Edward Hall. Yes. Yeah. And that's exactly what I thought. Right? Is it They're more probably about in the all charis- of him. Yes, the charismatic defense barrister. Could it be because of him? Yeah. I wonder if that's because, the case. Because there's nothing that, like, there's nothing. It's like, <laughs> well, no one saw him there. Yeah. I don't, have done it. I don't even think his defense was that solid, to be honest. No. No. It wasn't. But a nice thing that I read of this, um, now, annually, people hold a bike ride in her honour. It's a 16-mile bike oh, ride good. in Bella's honour. And members of her family that are now left, so like her great-great-nephew or a great-great-grandson or something like that, not grandson, but, you know, great-great-family members, they have actually been taking part in this in this ride. And I'll see mm-hmm. if I can get just get his name up. Her, I think it was... Uh, what was his name? It was a relative of hers and it was a man and it was... Oh, here he is. So um, Mrs. Wright's great-nephew. So a guy called Bernie Hobill. And so it's his great-great-aunt that was murdered and he is now taking part in this annual bike ride in her memory. And he said that it's very upsetting to see because they actually do ride right past where she was, she was found. So he said yeah. it is quite upsetting to see her. But... Apparently, her great nieces Pam and Chrissy also go on the ride. They and and he sort of said they the people that made this event actually make it really special and really poignant because it is one of the yeah. oldest cold cases in British history. Okay, so I'm like I just looked up this like bike tour or whatever you want to call yeah. it. Yeah, and they actually have like reenactors who are wearing yes. like period clothes and riding yep. the period bike. Yeah. That's crazy. I thought that was a bit strange, but maybe it's, you know, I don't know. But they actually do wow. have her, have a lady dressed as she was that day, riding a bike. Mm-hmm. And then they have this guy on a green bicycle um, who rides alongside her. And then they all follow this trail. I thought that was a bit weird, but I guess if it mm-hmm. brings the family comfort, that's quite that's quite nice for them, I guess. If, you know, if that's yeah. something that brings them comfort. Now, Bella was buried in the churchyard of St. Mary and All Saints in Stoughton on the 11th of July in 1919, with several hundred mourners in attendance. And since her death, she has actually become 
very fondly thought of in that area. And she's kind of like an, not an urban legend, but you know, kind of like historically, everybody knows who she is locally in that area. And that's something that is quite comforting to to family members too. She's very fondly thought of. Um, But I just thought when I came across this, and particularly when I look at old cases, it upsets me that these people are never going to get the rest and the peace. You know, they're never going to get that resolution, particularly because this case is over 100 years old. Um, And it always, the reason I always like these cases, firstly, is because I like to look into the, the police procedure. I like to look at the differences between mm. procedures now and then and how they, yep. the, you know, how they do crime scenes and that kind of stuff. Um, and it really interests me. And I, I do sort of think that nobody really champions these old cases anymore because there isn't anybody to interview. There isn't anybody to to talk to now unless you kind of speak to these great nieces, great nephews. But there isn't anybody that was there at the time that can give you definitive answers to the questions that you've got. And so I feel sad that these cases are cold and probably are likely to remain cold forever. They're just going to end up being a story. And that's sad, I think. It is. It's very sad. Yeah. And I wonder Mm. when you, if you were to look at this case, if you were to take a, a now day Colin Sutton and transport him back to like 1919, what would he, what would he do differently? You know, how would he approach a case like this? I know I would lay my, my life on it he would not be trampling all over the crime scene, picking her up and putting oh, her into no. a disused house, you know? He wouldn't be going back and washing her face, and you know? No. So I, it's always interests me, how how would we approach these old cases now, and what would I be looking for if I were looking into this case? It's, mm-hmm. it's just very interesting. I find them really interesting. So it that is. is, yeah, that is the, the murder of Bella Wright. Thank you very much. That was actually really interesting. I thought you'd find it interesting. I did. Yeah. I thought you'd. I thought you'd find this one an interesting case. I like. So that yeah, one. yeah. I do like the old ones. You know, I do. You're the nowadays. You're the nowadays reporter of crime. I like to go back to the good old days. Right. Back to the, the good old. The good old days of crime. Yes. <laughs> yes. You like to go to the good old days of crime. The good old days. <laughs> back to revolvers and bicycles and no mobile phones. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> so yeah. So how about you lighten things up now? This case wasn't, it's a very sad case, but it wasn't one of those ones that leaves us like absolutely horrified and, and really, really, really upset. Like some of the cases that we do. Um, yeah. I wonder if that's because it is from such a long time ago. I wonder if that's why cases like this are interesting, you know, more yeah. than, I wonder if that's why they're not really as, it's, I mean, it's obviously it's horrific to her family members. Definitely. It is. But I wonder if because they, as the older they get, the easier they are to talk about possibly maybe that's why maybe mm-hmm. it maybe it's, it's also like maybe it's harder to like identify with a little bit yeah yeah you know because it seems like a to- uh, it's, obviously it is a totally different time but it does seem kind of almost like unreal is you know it's it's of a day that we just don't understand it's of a time that we don't we yeah. can't comprehend what it's like living in a time like that exactly so yeah. it's more like a story than it is you're imagining it as a real life happening isn't it maybe yeah, like I'm, I'm still confused. I'm like, why she let this complete stranger just like I know. follow her around, yeah, and go to uncle's house, and and then just, just leave like, with him, and yeah. But I wondered, do you think he could have been the army officer? Do you think he could have been the guy that was quite sweet on her because we don't know his name, and she oh, did say that there was an officer yeah. that was interested in her, and I wonder because he was an officer in the army. I wonder 
could it be that he was the officer? So he wasn't completely unknown to her, but he wasn't sort of well known to her because she did say to her uncle that she didn't know him. But could that be the man that was the officer that was sweet on her? Possibly. Wow. I mean, he's not an ugly man. If you look back at him, she's a very beautiful porcelain skin, very clear, you know, beautiful Mm -hmm. old it's that kind of old style charm, like beautiful face. Mm-hmm. And he's a very handsome looking man. And I wondered maybe whether yeah. he was the officer. Could be. But, yeah, easily. Which, which would explain why she didn't sort of like run into her uncles and go, this weirdo won't leave me alone, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So wow. It could be that. That is very interesting. Yeah, it's possible. Well, of course, the only person that yeah. knows is him. And he's not going to say, is yeah. he? <laughs> So, yeah. No, he's not. Well, with that, how about we lighten it up a little bit and we do what we normally do at the end of our episodes, uh, which is Dumb Criminal. Hey, Dumb Dumb Head, <laughs> you's a real jackass. Uh, this guy is a real jackass and he is a, a Dumb Dumb Head. Okay. okay. So there are many ways that one can get into trouble and one could end up being arrested. Uh-huh. And for 37-year-old Joshua Larson, he was arrested for what might have been the dumbest reason, okay? Uh-huh. So it was a Saturday night, late late Saturday night, uh, 11.45 p.m., and Joshua Larson decided to call 911 for an emergency. But... It's the reason for that 911 call that we kind of have to question. Okay. okay. So, so Joshua called 911 because his girlfriend wanted some Sour Patch Kids. Right. She wanted, she wanted candy. Okay. So he called 911 for police to come and help him get candy for his girlfriend. Okay. Right. So when asked the, okay. So when asked about this call by uh by the sheriff deputy who showed up at his home, he said that Larson when he arrived just smiled and walked away, okay? Right. Now it it doesn't say if the if the officers actually bought and brought him sour patch kids. No. But we can assume that they did not. Yeah, okay? definitely. Now, at that point, the police officers tried to put him in handcuffs, but For Mr. What? Larson, allegedly, well, we'll get to that, started to struggle, to which police responded by deploying an electric control weapon, which is basically they tased Taser. him. Yeah. Okay? Yep. Um, so, so basically, he was being charged with misuse of the 911 system for right. calling 911 oh, okay. to get Sour Patch Kids. Uh, as well as for obstruction. Okay. So he was booked into county jail and he was freed the following day on his own recognizance. Okay. Right. Um, So basically he could have used DoorDash or anything else and ordered some Sour Patch Kids for about $5, but rather he decided to call 911 to get some Sour Patch Kids, ends up in jail and uh, he when he was released per condition of his, his release, he was required by a judge to not consume any alcohol. I was going to say, as was well he as drunk? To be, 
he was drunk. He was heavily intoxicated when we called 911 for the job. Yeah. And he also had to be outfitted with a alcohol monitoring de- device. Oh, wow. Why didn't the now, police just leave him? Just ignore him. Like, don't bother. Like, what a waste of resources. What a waste of court time. What a well, waste it's, of police it's, time. Well, yeah, but it's a it's a waste of police time because he was calling 911 for this, right? Yeah, so, so why they didn't they just respond, like, put the phone down and go like, no, you know, your phone obviously quite an idiot. You're I obviously drunk. Yeah. It's not like he's phoning well, and saying someone's hurt or, you know, I've hurt someone. He's phoning up asking them to get sweets for him. So why yeah. didn't they just, just like dismiss him and like not bother wasting their time? <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, to be honest, honestly, this guy, this guy has, is a little bit of a piece of shit because he had been also arrested previously for shoving his girlfriend and knocking oh. her phone from her hand during an altercation. So he, so maybe he that's why they did turn up, yeah. 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 But I think the moral story of this is if you really want to get some Sour Patch Kids, don't use 911, folks. <laughs> call our good, call our friend at Music City 911. <laughs> I'm sure if he oh turned up God. at your house with Sour Patch Kids, you'd regret it. <laughs> yeah. How why crazy. Think about why would you think of calling 911? Because he's drunk, isn't he? That's why. He's just drunk. I wonder yeah. what they I wonder what the crazy we should ask him. We should ask Brandon. What's the craziest call stupid call you've ever had? I yeah, bet I was, bet he yeah. could tell us some really stupid, stupid stories. Because he tells me some really oh, yeah. crazy real life stories. Mm-hmm. He tells me some really crazy stories. So I mean, I wonder what the, the stupid ones are. I bet he's got a tale or two to tell about that. That's crazy. That's crazy. Not one, it's not a time. Oh, no. no, you idiot. <laughs> well, thank you very much for that. Thank you for joining us this week um, and every week. And we appreciate you very, very much. We will be back next week with Morgan's episode. It's going to be a two-parter next week. Um, and then we'll be reporting, I would imagine probably at some point we'll be reporting live from CrimeCon Glasgow as well so that we can do some live episodes um, for you, which you'll probably find on YouTube or somewhere. But we'll work that out as we go. So for now, be nice. And bye. Bye.